Appreciate that from our young ladies tonight, and as always, had our guys last week did a spectacular job uh, singing our ladies tonight. Be sure you get by and encourage them. Uh, that's a scary thing to stand up in front of you, and I can tell you that because I do it all the time. And especially for young people, it's hard sometimes standing up in front of everybody. And uh, that's why I encourage you to smile every once in a while, make things a little easier on them. But what a blessing that they're willing, amen? Willing to get up and sing praise to the Lord for what he's done. And I don't know of a better subject than that of grace, amen? The grace of God's worth singing about. And that's why they call it amazing. If you're saved tonight, you know what that is all about. It is good to see you back here tonight on a Sunday afternoon, a rainy Sunday afternoon. And I didn't get to sit on the back porch and watch for it, but this was definitely rainbow weather. I thought I was going to get another picture as we showed this morning from all of the, the rainbows we've seen lately, but I'm thankful whether or not there's a rainbow, we know that God's good and God's promises are always good. And I'm thankful for his goodness letting us be here tonight and I want to encourage you from God's word tonight if you would. Let's take our Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter number nine. Ecclesiastes chapter number nine. I told Brother Nate a moment ago, leaned over, told him, I don't know that I've outlined a message as quick as I did this afternoon. Wasn't quite sure what the Lord wanted us to preach on, and the Lord led us right here toward the afternoon hour uh, in a different direction. So this one is definitely hot off of the presses. Ecclesiastes nine, when you find it, let's stand together. Look down to verse 10 and 11. Ecclesiastes chapter number 9, verses 10, verses 11, and uh, I took you a little bit long this morning, went to about 12, 20. I hope you made it to the buffet in time. I hope there was some good chicken left, you know? When you're late getting to the buffet, you miss out on the good pieces of chicken, and all that's left is those deformed pieces where you actually can't tell what they are. Is it a leg? Is it a wing? Is it a thigh? So I apologize for keeping you late today, but not really because I enjoyed being in God's house with God's people, but I'll try to give you some time back tonight if the Lord will allow. Uh, Ecclesiastes 9, look down to verse number 10. The Bible says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill. But time and chance happeneth to them all. Notice those last words, but time and chance happeneth to them all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the great spirit tonight. Thank you for the great crowd has come out on a rainy Sunday evening. I pray that, Father, you would meet with us, that, Father, you'd bless our efforts in being here and our people that came a long way. Lord, I pray that you'd uh, speak to us tonight, feed us through your word. Thank you, Father, that we can open the pages of this book and find something new and refreshing to our spirits. And I pray tonight we'd receive what you've sent for us and be changed by it. Bless, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone lost tonight, as always, they see their need to come to know Christ and trust him before it's too late for us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I think I've mentioned before I love the book of Ecclesiastes and all the things that are in there, probably right after the book of Proverbs. I've learned a lot in just short amounts of scripture out of the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you read through it, I'm sure as most of us, hopefully you're reading through your Bible, through our Bible schedules that we give out every January. As you read through your Bible and go through Ecclesiastes, I don't know about you, but I get the feel that the book of Ecclesiastes is like a great experiment of life. You kind of get that, uh, where Solomon has all of this opportunity, all of this wisdom, he has all of this wealth, and he is putting life to the test, and we have the privilege in God's word, in the record of God's word, to kind of look over his shoulder 
and see both the truths that he discovered and also the troubles that he discovered. Now, I've told you before, I'm a middle child, and I tried to learn from my older sister, and I tried to learn from my younger brother. I think it's good to try to learn from other people's successes and also learn from other people's failures, amen? Uh, as a kid, other people's failures meant that if I learned not to do what they got a spanking for, it meant there's a good chance I may not get a spanking for that same thing. Now, mom and dad are here. They'll tell you I could be hard-headed just like anybody else, and sometimes I just chose to learn the hard way, and I I learned through trouble. Now, all of, all of us tonight here are not on the same level as Solomon, that's for sure. We do not have his wealth, we do not have his wisdom, we do not have his opportunity, but I do believe tonight we can look within the book of Ecclesiastes and we can see his highs and see his lows and learn lessons from what he experienced. I've told you before we have a phrase around our house, or I do, I'll mention it from time to time, it's kind of one of my mottos of life, okay? If you don't have a motto for your life, get one, okay? You can borrow the one from uh, Chick-fil-A, eat more chicken, whatever you want. That's kind of one of my mottos too. Uh, but one of the mottos around our house is life is about getting it right, okay? Life is about getting it right. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I learn from today, and if God blesses me with another day tomorrow, I'm going to apply what I learned today to the day tomorrow. So theoretically, we should technically be becoming better Christians day by day, right? But we're not. Do you know why? We fail to learn not only from other people's mistakes, we fail to learn from our own Turn back to your left real quickly tonight. I'll give you the title in just a moment. Uh, if I give you a long introduction, it probably means it's a short message, okay? So take some hope in that. Proverbs 1.1, the Bible says the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction, wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. Now watch verse 5. A wise man will hear and will increase in learning. What does that mean? That means a wise man is about getting life right. That I'm going to try to take what the Word of God says. I'm going to try to take the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. And I'm going to try to get life right with it. Give an example. In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 and 12, the Bible says, Now all these things, speaking of the children of Israel in the context, all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition. God says, I took the time to record and preserve in my word the accounts, experiences, successes, and failures of other people. That way we could grow, what does it say, in our admonition. The burden this afternoon was, was very simple. School's about to start. We're rounding the corner toward the last home stretch of the year. As I put my lapel pin on this morning that reflects our theme of now for 2022, I begin to realize we are one month in to the second half of this year, and I wonder what we've learned. I wonder how we've grown. I wonder what we've done. I wonder what we've accomplished. What obedience have we followed through in the will of God for our life? And you know, the truth is, no matter what we've done up until now, we need to resolve that from now on, we're going to work to get life right. 
Okay, let's work to get life right. We don't know that we're going to make the end of 2022. I'm already working on the theme for 2023. It may never happen. This may be all that we get now, right here in 2022, but we've got to consciously make the effort that we're going to get life right. And that's the message tonight. I did not get the points to the guys in the back. As far as I know, I didn't get you the points tonight. They're looking at me shaking their head. Uh, I sent them to the wrong person, okay? So you're going to have to pay attention as I give you four things tonight as we learn about Solomon and how he worked or learned to get life right. Now, one caveat before we jump into this. We're talking about your life, okay? We're talking about your life. It's easy to sit in this room tonight and think, yes, I know some people who need to hear this message. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take what you hear and help get their life right. No, look, God wants us to get our life right. God wants us to see where we've had truths that were learned and troubles that we experienced and apply them to the rest of the year should the Lord tarry. And verse 10 and 11 give us four simple things on how to do just that. Let's jump in if we could. Verse 10 begins with a blanket statement. Watch what it says. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Now the first step in getting life right is going to require us, number one, to put forth the effort, to put forth the effort. Now, will we all agree tonight that living life in general in 2022 is hard? Will we all agree with that? Uh, I think we'd all agree that 2022 is harder than the previous years that we've had, and it doesn't seem like it's going to let up anytime soon in the future. Living life alone and living life as it is is hard enough. But living a life pleasing to God, fulfilling his will, and being obedient to his word is going to take exactly what verse 10 says. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Now here's what's interesting. You know me, I love to look up words. I looked up the word might to see if it meant what I thought it meant. Because sometimes in the Bible it doesn't. There's two definitions in the Bible for the word might. Let me give you both of them and I'll let you decide. The first is power, strength, or effort. And the second is a small lizard that's unclean. All right? So I'll let you pick which one you think it means. I have to go back when I get home and look up where that lizard part comes in context of Scripture. i got to find out where that lizard's at in the Bible. I think it's referring to power, effort, and strength, okay? Here's what God is saying. In order to live a life that is fulfilling, what is fulfilling? That means doing what God put me here to do right now. That is why we are here. In order to live a life that is fulfilling to God and his will for our life, we've got to put in the effort in order to get out the product. Did you hear what I said? You've got to put in the effort if you desire to get the product. We've heard the phrase many times before. Life is going to be uh, what you get out of it is what you put into it. I want you to think about how true that is. We stand before God in the judgment seat of Christ as a child of God. And yes, we will not lose our salvation, but I fear many of us aren't going to have much by way of reward to lay the feet of Jesus. Why? We're not going to get much out of the judgment because we didn't put much into it. Give you an example. I love the story or the account of David's mighty men. 2 Samuel 23, I'll not read it for you. But the Bible talks about David's mighty men. I would have loved to have been included in that group, wouldn't you? It it would have been sad to be one of David's plain old men. (laughs) I would rather be one of David's mighty men. Can I just ask you a question? Maybe get our gears going just a little bit tonight. I wonder how they got that name. 
I wonder how they got that name. In the end, David said, these guys are my mighty men. I wonder how they got that name. Did he just say, you know what? You guys look mighty, you know? They were chiseled. I've told you before, I figured they had these long, scraggly beards. I figured a few of them were missing some teeth. But one of them probably had an eye patch. Why? They were fighting all the time. He says, you know what? You guys look mighty, so therefore, I'm going to call you my mighty men. Don't believe that for a second. I don't believe they had anything to do with their looks. I believe the reason that David deemed them mighty, watch this, they had put forth some might in their effort for their king. You see, they got out of it what they put into it. And I fear, look, we're going to draw to the close of 2022 if the Lord tarries. And I'm afraid you're not going to have a lot at the end of it because you didn't put a whole lot in the middle of it. We've got to realize that God says, whatever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Hey, put some effort into it. It's going to take some effort to fulfill the will of God in your life for the rest of 2022. We are one month into the second half. We've got five months left. This thing's going to be over before long, and that's if the Lord tarries. And the only way we're going to have something that we are pleased to lay at the feet of Jesus for the time that we were given is we've got to put forth some effort. Think about this. Matthew 25, we have the parable of the talents. We know it well. What was the testimony of the two guys that got it right? Well done, and what was the words used to describe them? Thou good and faithful. wonder how they got that. Come on, this is deep stuff tonight, right? I told you. I mean, I literally just finished writing the notes on this one. The ink's still wet on my iPad. So how's that work? <laughs> Some of your head just exploded. Well done, thou good and faithful. I wonder how they got that testimony. Could it be that in the end, their testimony was good and faithful? Could it be that they did something that was good and they remained faithful? You see, they put forth the effort to do good. They put forth the effort to be faithful. And in the end, God himself says, well done. You know what he's saying? You know what well done is? You got it right. You got it right. Can I tell you, I want to get life right. I want to get it right. Look, I want to have my marriage to be right and my daughter to be right. But one day when I stand before God, my wife and daughter aren't standing with me. I will give an account to the life that God gave me. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And let me tell you, when I stand before God, I want God to say, well done. He could even say, if he wanted to, you got it right. You got it right. Can I tell you one thing for sure? Verse 10 assures us that the only way that we're going to get life right is to put forth the effort, strength. We're going to have to put forth the power. Hebrews 11.5, we have the testimony about Enoch. I love this. The Bible says he had this testimony that he pleased God. There's going to come a day, I'll promise you this, whether you agree with me right here or not, I'll promise you there's going to come a day when we do stand before an almighty God, and that would mean the world for you to hear. It's going to mean everything. I'll guarantee you there is nothing on your property, there's nothing that you hold the title to. There's nothing in your bank account, nothing in your vault, nothing that you wouldn't trade the one day to hear. You pleased me. You pleased me. I don't, you know, I want a crown to lay at the feet of Jesus just to hear my father say, you pleased me. You know what he's saying? You got it right. You got it right. 
I haven't had a chance to talk to Enoch lately, but one day I will. And I'll promise you, Enoch would tell you, in order to hear that testimony, he had to put forth the effort. You're not going to please God on accident. You're not going to fulfill your now. You're not going to find it. You're not going to fulfill it. If you don't have a genuine desire to put forth the effort that you may please him who hath called you to be a soldier. Paul told Timothy, he says, no man that warreth entangleth himself. Be careful getting tangled up down here. Life can be tangling up sometimes, can it be? Like them fishing reels, man, you guys who use those fancy reels with the thumb and you, you know, and and it just wolfs out. I'm a Zevco 33 man and I'm not ashamed of it. I said it right here in front of the whole world, on camera, live stream. I'm a Zebco 33 man all the way. And I think I could do just as good with my 33 as you can with your Abu Garcia, whatever it is. Zoom, just throwing it up in there. I've got just about every 33 that was ever made as far as style. Used to have them in my office years ago. I love that, man. Somebody bought me one of those fancy ones. Siri, I'm not talking to you. Man, she gets in on the action every once in a while. I, I would throw one of those fancy reels and I would spend probably... 30 minutes fishing in three hours pulling the string out from the mess that I made with that thing. I'm like, this ain't worth it. You know, I was like, I can just do just as good with my, I can even do that with the 202 for those of you who are fishermen. That's the plastic top of one that poor guys use, but uh, I could do it with the 202 too. I'm like, this ain't worth it to me. Hey, it tangles up too much. Life can be not worth it when it tangles you up. A lot of the stuff we're paying attention to, worrying about, spending all of our time on, it's tangling us up. And Paul told Timothy, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. What is he saying? He says, one day, all that's going to matter is that you please him who called you to be a soldier. So Timothy, put forth the effort. Don't get tangled up. It's so easy, isn't it? Life, boy, it reaches out and grabs you, the cares of this world. you got to put forth the effort not to get entangled in all the things that seek to slow us down and keep us from the will of God. I thought about this this afternoon as I studied that word might briefly this afternoon. I said, unfortunately, in our churches today, we are filled with the wrong might. Okay? Now, hear me out. Hear me out. We're filled with the wrong kind of might. You say, what do you mean? You mean that little bugs that are on, you know, bird feathers? No, not that mite. It's the other mite. I might go to church. I might read my Bible. I might tithe, you know. I might soul in. I might give out a gospel track. Oh, we're full of might, but it's the wrong one. That's not the mighty you want to be. You want to be the mighty to where you're putting forth your effort for the will of God, not making an excuse against the will of God. I'm afraid when we stand before God, yes, there's a lot of us going to be mighty, but it's going to be the wrong mighty. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do. What is Solomon telling us? He says, hey, I'm going to show you how to get life right. He tried just about everything. You're going to have to put forth the effort. Now, notice what it says. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do. Will we all agree tonight life can be a handful? We got this to do and this to juggle, this place to go, this. I mean, we got all of these things that are happening. God places opportunities in our hands that nobody else are going to have. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do. You know, I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. I have a schedule, I have meetings, I have phone calls, I have things to do tomorrow. But you know, there are things God's going to place in my hands that are my responsibility. Mom and dad, 
You're going to have responsibility in your hands tomorrow. Husband, wife, responsibility in your hands. God says, you know what? Whatever I place in your hands, put forth the effort. Hey, husbands, put forth the effort. Be a good husband. Put some effort into it. Oh, and I'm just, you know, I'm a country boy and all that. Oh, come on. Put some effort into it. Hey, wife, put some effort into it. I was looking at our teenagers this morning, watching. I'm sitting up here just watching folks walk around the church. And I was watching some of the younger children follow around their older siblings in church. Can I tell you something, older kids? God has placed something very unique in your hands. It's the opportunity to be an example. Could I ask you to do something? Would you put some effort in that? Would you put some effort in that? You older children have influence and opportunity that even I as the pastor don't have to lead your younger siblings. And if you're not careful, you'll lead them right off a cliff because you didn't do with all your might what God had placed in your hands. The Bible says whatsoever you do, Colossians 3.23, do it heartily as to the Lord. As to the Lord. Number one, how do we get life right? Let's put forth the effort. Then keep reading verse 10. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Now, here's what's interesting. The first part of verse 10, he shows us what he wants to do, but really the second part of verse 10, he shows us how to do it. Every day God places things within our reach. He says, puts forth some effort in it, but then he changes the focus. He says, all right, every day, whatever your hand finds to do, you do it with thy might. But then all of a sudden he changes the focus and looks way down the road, and then he kind of turns dark for a moment. Verse 10, he says, there's nor wisdom in the grave. The first step in getting life right is put forth the effort. Number two, second step in getting life right is plan for the end. Plan for the end. It may sound contradictory, but... The first part of verse 10 and the second part of verse 10, they're actually complementary. You're thinking, well, one minute you're telling us we need to live for today and do all that we can today. And the next minute you're telling us we need to think about when we're going to die. But think about this. If you'll consider how you want to end your life, it'll change the way you start your day. All right? Let that one sink in just for a minute. Some of you are still back on the ink on the iPad. I can tell. You're just like, woo, train whistle out your ears. All right? If you will start your day thinking about how you want to end your life, you'll start your day differently. Why? Because every moment that you live is one step closer to the end of your life. And if you want to get life right, you're going to get life right one day at a time. You can't wait until moments before you die and say, all right, let's get it all right. Let's have my last rites, you know. Let's get everything tidy up. That way I'm right with God. Oh, that's not how it works. If you want to get life right, you've got to plan for the end while you're still at the beginning. It's kind of like retirement. I'm 42. The other day, I went to the insurance office and uh, upped my life insurance. My wife's been threatening me a lot, and I thought, well, you know, at least she ought to get some money out of it. She's going to kill me. You know, at least while she's sitting in prison, Milo, I have some money to spend and go on vacations, right? 42, 42, I feel young, I feel young, I don't look young, but man, I still feel young, but man, I'm starting to think, good night. The lady called and she says, uh, Mr. Andrews, I just wanted to let you know your term is about to expire. I'm like, what? <laughs> I just signed that thing like 
20 years ago. Yeah, you got to re-up that. And then you've got you to come in for a physical, and I'm thinking, oh, great. I'm not going to have that premium status anymore. It was, i got to tell you this. i got to tell you this. I get in there in the office. She said, okay, we have to draw some blood. And I said, all right, go ahead. She says, do you get, you know, weak need? I said, absolutely. I don't like seeing my own blood. I'm just being honest with you. If you do, something's wrong with you. She says, are you serious? Do you get weak need? I says, I do. I really do. She says, lay out on the floor. So literally, I'm in the insurance office in Collins, Mississippi, laid out on the floor while this lady takes my blood, while my wife and daughter are looking down like, oh, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> she says, how much do you want to up it for? I'm not going to tell you, so that way you don't get in cahoots with my wife, and then you knock me off, okay? She says, how much do you want to up it to? And I said, let's, let's triple it. Do you know why? Well, when I was in my 20s and I signed up for that, I'm like, I'm going to live forever. Now I'm 42 thinking, okay, that's probably not going to happen. I'm thinking about my end. I'm starting to plan for the end. Do you know, if I wait until I'm 65 or 70 years old to get some term, uh, it's going to cost me a little bit. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and lock that in now because it's going to be a whole lot more expensive later. That's kind of how it is with your life in Christ. You've got to realize you've got to start planning for the end early on. If you're going to get life right, you've got to realize life adds up one day at a time. Now, what does the Bible say in James chapter 4 about our life? The Bible says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It asks this question, what is our life? What is it? And it compares our life to something interesting. Stick with me, okay? It compares our life to a vapor that appeareth and then vanish away. Do, do you know what that is? That's a cloud, all right? That's a cloud. What is a cloud? It's a bunch of billions and trillions of little water droplets that come together to form one cloud. But it's one cloud formed by a bunch of little beady pieces that all got added up together. What is your life? Your life is the span of time that you have to live, as the old phrase says, it's that dash between the numbers on your tombstone. But it's really not one big hole, it's a bunch of little pieces that come together to form one. Do you know your life is just a bunch of todays that you added up together to become one whole? So watch, if I'm concerned about getting life right, where he says, well done, you got it right. Well done, you pleased me. If I'm genuinely concerned about that, I'm not going to wait until the end of my life. I'm going to be concerned about it today. Why? Because all our life is is a collection of todays. Today, and then if the Lord gives us tomorrow, it's going to add up, and the next day, the next day, the next day, and after a while, our life has been formed. That's why David says, Psalm 90, so teach us to number our days. What did he say? Focus on the little pieces. Don't think, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to get it all right at the end. I'm going to donate all of my inheritance to the church. I'm gonna, they're going to name a wing after me there at the church. I'm going to buy some buses before I die and send some kids to Christian school and, and, and so on and so forth at the very end. No, 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 that's not how you get life right. That's how you get right at the end, but that's not how you get a life right. Life is right one today at a time. David says, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. 
David says, if you'll consider the days, it'll change how you apply things to your life. It's that brevity, really, that changes our approach to each day when you realize it's short. Hebrews 10, 25, we often quote this about church attendance. But think about this, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. All right, so uh, the Bible says that we're not to forsake. That means walk away from gathering together as a body of believers. But what are we supposed to do? The Bible says exhorting one another and so much the more as we see the day approaching. Now watch what's happening. He's telling us to realize the end is closing in on us. Every moment that we've been in here, the end of our life has drawn a little bit closer and closer. And if the Lord allows you tomorrow, that's one day shorter that you have left. And it's approaching. What did the Bible say in verse 25? That we exhort one another so much the more as we see the day approaching. You see, that brevity is what's motivating our action. When we realize, you know what, I don't know that I have a lot of days, so I better live this day for the glory of God. Number two, plan for the end. Plan for the end. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, you look over just one page to your right, very famous scripture. But oh, here's the conclusion of this great experiment of life that Solomon had. The very end of the story, he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. After all that he had done, he built houses, he had vineyards, he had men servants, he had maid servants, he had all of these things. It gives you a list of the, uh, the, the, the cutlery in his kitchen of silver and gold, all that he had. He had all of these things, and at the end, what did he say? All right, here's my top ten. He says, no, here's my top two. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the conclusion. Do you know what he's saying? You better plan for the end. You better start thinking about the conclusion when it's all over. That's what God was saying in Deuteronomy 32, 29. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider the latter end. You're wise when you consider the end. That's how you get life right. If you're going to get life right, you've got to put forth the effort and then plan for the end. The other day, Miley was saying, all right, I'm, she's mom and dad, we went school shopping, got her stuff and her clothes and her backpack and all that. And she says, all right, I'm going into my sophomore year. She said, I only got three years left. I'll be heading off to college. I want to give her a whooping right there, just to be honest with you. <laughs> Why are you rubbing that in? Appreciate that. Breaking dad down right in the mall. Woo! I thought, good night. I remember so clearly standing in the cottage there at the camp, holding my, my little, little kid in camouflage onesie in the palm of my hand. Of course it was camouflage. Amen. And I'm looking at him now. This kid's up here singing at church. In three years, she'll be headed off to college. I did have enough wisdom from older pastors when they, uh, at my ordination. They came down and prayed with me right before the ordination. And one of the things they told me, probably, I'm going to guess 75% of them told me, don't forget about your family. Don't forget about your family. Come down, love your people, walk with God. Don't forget about your family. So I went into ministry thinking to myself, okay, okay, this must be important because just about every one of those guys said, don't forget about your family. So I, we tried early on in our marriage. We said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make sure we make time for our children. We didn't know he was only going to have one. We're going to make time for them. So sometimes we drew, drove an old Buick. Remember the old ugly Buick we used to drive? Man, that was ugly. 
There was nothing good about that car unless you're a 70s guy and like that red crush velour on the inside. Well, then there you go. But that was about the only redeeming quality. It had a bald spot on the top, kind of like my head. It a rust spot up there. And that was an ugly car. We drove that little car for a little while. My brother wrecked my PT Cruiser, you know, so I had to drive that. And we had an opportunity to buy a new car. Nothing wrong with a new car whatsoever. But our budget would not allow the new car and everything that we wanted to try to do with our kid that year. So we made a conscious effort, remember? She's a little baby. We may not always be able to give her the material things that everybody else may have, but we're going to give her our time. The other day when we were standing in the mall, I said, this is why we made the decisions we did. Because in three years, I know she's going to be gone. And all the things I got her is really not going to matter. But the time that I spent with her will. I was planning for the end. Now, it's just going to be a temporary end because she's going to go to college. She's going to come back home and be a Baptist nun. Okay? <laughs> Any of you dads want to join the order, you're welcome. We're going to start it. Found it right here, the, the, the union of Baptist nuns here at Central Baptist Church. Can I tell you, as hard as of a thought it is to think about my daughter going off to college, and I told somebody the other day, some of you got spares. I don't have a spare. I got one, okay? So I make a big deal about it. Some of you got spares, and you're not even happy about the spares you got, okay? I only got one. And so it's a big deal to me. But as I stood there in the mall, can I tell you, I was so thankful that we had passed up on some of the material stuff. Look, nothing wrong with material stuff. But man, I'm so thankful I passed up on material stuff because I was able to spend more time with my child and make memories with those child, my, ch- my child. You see, I was planning for the end. And oh, one day it's going to mean so much more to you when you stand before God that you planned for the end in order to get life right. Number three, look at verse 11. I'm going to hurry. You're like, man. Four points on a Sunday night? Number 11, verse 11. The Bible says, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise nor yet riches to men of understanding nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. Verse 11 is interesting because oftentimes when we think about might in verse number 9, or verse number 10, we think about might, we think about the mighty people are the biggest, the best, and the bravest, correct? Mighty people, they're the biggest, the best, the strongest, the fastest, the smartest, the richest. We think, okay, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not one of those best that is mentioned in verse number 11. And verse 11 really cuts us off at the knees. It says, not so fast. The third thing I want you to see that if we're going to let, uh, get life right, number three, we've got to put aside excuses. Put aside excuses. You say, what do you mean? Well, it's easy to look at verse number 11 and say, you know what? Well, I'm not this. I'm not the biggest. I'm not the best. I'm not the strongest. I'm not uh, the smartest. I'm not the mightiest. And we excuse away not doing what we need to do to get life right. Well, I'm not the pastor, so I don't have to witness to anybody. Or I'm not on staff, so I don't have to serve. Or I don't have the talent to sing, so therefore I don't sing. And we excuse away doing all that we can to the glory of God. I hate to tell you, it is in your physical DNA to be an excuse factory. Go back and look at our great, 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 all the way to Eden, Adam and Eve. God comes along. Eve, why did you do this? Or Adam, why did you do this? It's the woman. And man is still using that one. It's the woman. 
And then he asked the woman, why did you do this? He said, it's the snake. Excuse, why didn't you do what you were supposed to do? Why didn't you get life right? Well, it's because of them, and we excuse away our obedience. Could I just ask you to use the Bible as its own reference? How did that go? How did that go? Did it go well? Calls out to Moses from the burning bush. Moses, hey, here's what I want you to do. I've got a plan for your life. I'm going to use you to be the great deliverer of Israel. Oh, God, I can't do that. I can't speak. I'm not eloquent. Those are hard-headed people. They're not going to listen to me. Hey, if that was a valid excuse, there would be no preachers anywhere. You'll get that one when you get the iPad one later. It'll sink in on you. He calls out to Gideon, Gideon, I want you to be the deliverer, mighty man of valor. Gideon says, who, me? I'm, I'm poor, I'm lowly. You don't know who I am. I'm not who you think I am. What was he doing? He was offering excuses. He called Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I want you to root up and tear down. You read all that God wanted him to do in Jeremiah chapter one. He says, ah, Lord, exclamation point. I can't speak for I'm a child. You know what he's doing? He's excusing himself. I, I can't, I can't. Once again, go back. Excuses didn't make any headway with God. And they're not. If you're going to get life right, you've got to put aside the excuses. doesn't matter what it is. I'm not talented. The Bible says here, verse 11, it's a condemnation to our excuses. What does it say? It says the race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong. Neither, the Bible says, yet bread to the wise nor yet riches to men of understanding nor yet favor to men of skill. It says you better put aside your excuses because verse 10 still rings true. Whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. God has given us what we need to do, what he's called us to do. And if you know anything about the Christian life, you ought to know there's always going to be excuses not to do what God told you to do. My dad will tell you, man, I could come up, I could spin an excuse like nobody's business. And we feel like if we have a good enough excuse, then we're excused, right? If I have a good enough excuse on why I can't do what I'm supposed to do, then I'm excused. Go with me, if you will, right quick to Luke chapter 14. I want to show you something. Luke chapter number 14. And uh, let's look down. Uh, let's look down about verse number 18. This parable of the Great Supper. Watch what the Bible says. Luke chapter 14, verse 18, or verse 17. And send his servant at supper time. To say to them that were bidden, come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground. I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. Verse 19, and another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Well, notice each one of them had reasonable excuses, but I want you to know, the Bible says, look down, verse 24, for I say unto them that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. You see, excuses were not an excuse. No excuse to not do what God's called us to do. If we're going to get life right, we've got to put away our excuses. On a weekly basis, I'll talk to people, and I grant, granted, I understand, people have gone through a lot. People have been hurt. People have been ridiculed. People have had, uh, you know, they've, they've been uh, betrayed. I get that. And it's amazing on a weekly basis at all the different things I hear on why I'm not who I should be, not doing what I should be doing. 
not acting the way that I should be acting. It's amazing. And it's always somebody else. It's always somebody else. It never comes back to us to realize that no matter what my excuse is for not doing what God's called me to do, God still expected it as if he said it the first time when he called us to do it. So we've got a number three, get life right, learn to set aside or, or put aside excuses. John 21, we know about Peter and John, and he asked the question, well, what's this guy going to do? You know, if I'm going to die like this, what's this guy going to do? What does he say? What is that to thee? What is that to thee? Let's not use other people's excuses for not doing the will of God because God will hold us solely accountable for what he's called us to do. So number three, put aside excuses. And then finally, he concludes with why excuses aren't acceptable. This is important. The last part of 11, it says all of those things, but time and chance happeneth to them all. You know, you may not have skill, you may not have intellect, you may not have talent, uh, you may not have wealth, you may not have all of those things that are listed in verse number uh, 11, the top side of that, but the Bible says that all of us have been given something. What does it say? Time and chance. Let's marry those two together. Do you know what time and chance are? They are opportunity. Opportunity. You may not have this and this and this and this, and that's been your excuse for why you haven't done what God's called you to do. And granted, you may not have those things, but the one thing the Bible says that happens and is given to us all is that God gives us opportunity. Tomorrow, if the Lord tarries and our students go back to school right across the way here or wherever you go to school, I'll promise you, you're going to have opportunity. That you may not be smarter than the guy sitting to your right or your left. You may not be smarter than anybody. But I'll promise you, God's going to give you an opportunity. Tomorrow, mom or dad, you're sitting there at work and there's a coworker. You're going to come in contact with someone that God's going to give you an opportunity with. You say, well, I just don't have the gift of evangelism. I've heard that one so many times. I'm like, come on, you know that's an excuse. Anybody can take a track and pull it out of their pocket. Invite somebody to church. Share the gospel. Say, would you read that on your break? What I do is when I'm coming through a line at a grocery store, I say, hey, if they let you off on Sunday, come go to church with me. Just give them that. On the back of it is the gospel, the good news. It's scripture, the word of God that's quick and powerful. Oh, the Holy Spirit could stir their heart and they read it and come to church and get saved or just get saved in the quietness of their living room. There's opportunity. You're going to have that. You say, well, I don't have the talent to sing. I'll promise you God's given you the talent of opportunity whether you realize it or not. That's why number four is so important. With all the things that we have going on in life, we've got to prioritize expectations. God says what I expect out of you is in verse number 11. I expect you to use the time and the chance that I've given you. You know, I'm sure we went around the room tonight we'd probably be surprised at all of the expectations that each of us have over the course of a day. I know, I have no doubt, you'd be surprised at the expectations I have outside of Sunday. You're thinking, Monday through Saturday, what does that guy do? You know, sit back in the office and eat the donuts that people drop off at my office. Yeah, that's pretty much what I do. Ask Miss Pam. I just sit in there and eat donuts and drink coffee all the time. I would probably be surprised at all the expectations you have. All right, it's your job. You have expectations from your boss at home. You have expectations from your spouse and your children and your bill collectors. You have expectations for them. And all of those expectations have to be met. But in the midst of all of that, 
We can't lose sight of the fact that God has expectations for us on a daily basis. And if you want to get life right, you better prioritize your expectations to realize and include opportunity. That tomorrow God's going to give you some opportunity to fulfill your will in his lost, in in his, his will in your life. Real quickly, I'll close with this. Matthew chapter 25. Not turn there. We know the story well that we can, uh, we can just walk through it together. When he gave them the talents, he gave them something else. You ever think about that? We say, well, he gave this guy the five and the two and the one, whatever. You know, he gave them something more than that. He gave them time. He also gave them time. He said, I'm giving you this talent, and I'm also going to give you the time until I return. Do you know if you couple those two things together, the time and the talents, do you know what that really is? Opportunity. God's given you time. God's given you some type of a talent. I'm sure some of you are like me at times. You're like, I wonder what it is. 42, I haven't figured it out yet. I mean, I saw the guy the other day. Was that Joey Chestnut guy? Had the Raisin Cane's chicken feet, uh, finger eating contest. He ate 44. I mean, why couldn't I get a talent like that? You know, supernaturally eat all of this food. Man, he found his talent. You may not know what it is, but I'll assure you, God's giving you time and talent, which means opportunity. In the midst of all the expectations of life, you've got to realize you may not have, what does verse 11 say? You may not be swift. You may not be strong, you may not be wise, you may not be rich, you may not be understanding, you may not have favor or skill, but you do have opportunity. And if you're going to get life right, you better prioritize your expectations to include that time and chance that God has given you. Now, here's what you're thinking before we close. You're thinking to yourself, well, I don't have the musical ability of Brother Zach. You know, I, I can't sing like those girls that were up here tonight. I can't teach like Miss Chisholm can teach. I don't have all that. Let me give you some good news before we close. In the parable of the talents, I want you to notice he didn't focus on the amount of what was produced. He didn't go, whoa, man, you have, you've got way more than him. No, no. He said, well done, thou good and faithful. So tonight, really, in order to get life right, let's be faithful with the opportunity God's given us. Number one, what do we do? Put forth the effort. Number two, plan for the end. Number three, put away excuses. And number four, let's prioritize our expectations this year and the rest of this year to include the will of God now. Heads are bowed.